I'm convinced that the best way or one of the best ways to bring about change is just to be given a better picture, uh, to be invited into a better story. So if you want to be a better student at the college you attend, be around people who study, (laughs) who take education seriously. You want to um, be in a better marriage, then surround yourself with, with people who have incredible marriages. If you want to know God more, then surround yourself with people who know him and who know his voice and who love him and who serve him. I'm just convinced that one of the best ways to bring about change is just to see a better picture, to be invited into a better story. You know, next Sunday, we're going to gather at 10 a.m., and we're going to celebrate the past six years of being a church. And, you know, it is amazing because I I look across this room and I go, we've joined this journey in all different points. Some of you guys have have been with us since the days we were in the park. You've been with us for six years. Some of you guys, this is your first week, or maybe you've been coming with us for a month. And what is so cool is over the past six years, God's done some amazing things. As a church, we've seen hundreds of people give their lives to Jesus in baptism, as a church, we've given away literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to feed hungry people in the city, to, to keep people's lights on, to keep the, the heat going in their homes on cold nights. And as a church, we have seen marriages restored. We've seen sick people be healed. And I'm convinced that as a church, our best days are not behind us. This evening, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, where we're just going to see this beautiful picture of what it looks like for the body of Christ to be what God has intended the body of Christ to be all along. A group of people that, that love each other. A group of people that are known for their love, that are marked by their love. And what hit me as I was reading this familiar text, for some of you, for the, some of this is the first time you've ever read it, and that's great, we're gonna jump in this together, but what hit me is that as a church, we have not arrived yet at this type of living, this type of loving. And yet at the same time, we are arriving that we haven't perfected this yet, but I look across our church and it's springing up that I see people in our church and you're, you're getting it and you're living it and God is doing some spectacular work in your lives. And so if you were with us last week, Aaron taught on 1 Corinthians 12 where we started talking about spiritual gifts and how spiritual gifts are given to every single believer, every single follower of Jesus for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And so each one of us has been given a spiritual gift so that the person sitting beside you and the person sitting across the room so that they may become more like Jesus Christ while their days on earth. And I love what Paul does. He says, before you go off and become fixed on like discovering what your spiritual gift is and how you can use your spiritual gift, your spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ, he says, you've got to understand this one truth. So he starts in verse 1 of 13. Paul says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am absolutely nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. I love this. Paul just looks at us. He says, you want to know the most excellent way to live? the most excellent way to use your life on this earth. Live a life of love. 
You know, I was thinking about how so often, man, we, we gather in places like this and we hear sermons and we open our Bibles and we always are hearing about love. I mean, love starts in Genesis 1 and it bleeds through every page in the Bible to Revelation 22. There's something about love that is so familiar that we know is so purposeful and so powerful. And yet, isn't it true that so often the most basic element is the thing that we forget so easily about, the thing that we lose sight of? Paul looks at us and he says, man, a group of Christians that are loaded with spiritual gifts, but who do not love each other, they have missed it. He says a group of of Christians that have the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues and have the the gift of encouragement and the gift of of teaching and healing, miraculous powers, a, a group of Christians that are loaded with spiritual gifts, but who don't love each other are like a bunch of kids sitting in a kitchen, clanging pots together for hours after hours. He's like, that group of Christians, it's annoying. It's worthless. No one wants to be around you. And I was reading this text this week, and I go, man, I honestly, like deep in my bones, I do not believe that's who we are as a church. I don't believe we're a group of people that have these gifts but don't care about each other. I see God writing something different in our midst. Yet I look at this text, and I'm reminded of this small group of people that lived in this ancient city of Corinth. They just had taken their eyes off of what mattered most. They got distracted. Last weekend, I went out to my in-laws' house with my wife, my kiddos, and we were driving back. It was right as the sun was setting, and I noticed as I was driving home, they kind of live out in the country in the middle of nowhere, all these uh, windy roads. I realized I was driving home that I was um, looking at everything but the road. You ever had one of those moments where like, you're like looking at all the, the beautiful trees and the leaves. You're like noticing deer. You're like noticing all these tacky Halloween decorations. And I'm glad they're being taken down. And like I'm, I'm in this moment where I'm realizing that I'm, dry, I'm driving. But I'm like distracted from the very thing that I'm supposed to be doing. And I love it. Paul just looks at us and he understands life. Like he understands that, that so often like going to, to our job and going to school and trying to be a good friend and trying to be a good uh, trying to be a good neighbor. He says he just understands how easily it is for, for us to get distracted about what's most important. Paul says you've got to understand that you and I were made to live lives of love. You know, there's this beautiful backstory to 1 Corinthians 13, to Paul's interaction with this church. It's, you know, we just kind of pick up in the middle of a, a text, in the middle of this book, and, and we lose a lot of the context. But what you need to know, you can go back and read Acts chapter 18 to get the backstory, is that Paul loved this little church in the ancient city of Corinth so much. He loved these people. He spent a year and a half of his life just pouring his life into them. Sitting across the table at Frothy Monkey, getting to know them. Eating a burrito with them at Baja Burrito. Being up at the hospital the day their kids were born. Standing up at Vanderbilt watching their kids graduate. Paul poured his life into these people. He loved them dearly. And he knew that God loved them. One night, Paul, like, was sleeping. In the middle of his sleep, God just shows up and he speaks to him. He says, Paul, stay in Corinth. Keep teaching these people. Keep proclaiming the truth. My people are scattered all over the city, and this is where I want you. And so Paul had this unbelievable, this this love for these people, and he knew that God loved them, and yet he looks at them and he goes, man, do not be distracted from what matters most. You know, I look at our church 
And I just kind of have this sense that over the next, this next season as a church that the things we talked about last week, our spiritual gifts, I think we're going like to really start to understand the way that, that God has gifted us as a church. I think in this next season as a church, we're going to start to really step into to using our spiritual gifts for the, for the good of others, for the building up of, of the people sitting next to you, the people across the aisle. I believe that there are some of you in this room and this next season of your life, man, you're just going to be like make so much money. You're going to do the same thing. You're going to do the same job you've always done, yet your paycheck's going to double. You're going to come up and you're going to go, what in the world is happening? And Paul tells in Romans chapter 12 that this is a spiritual gift. I believe some of you are going to have the spiritual gift of making money. I believe that some of you in this next season of your life that God is going to give you the ability, the ability to speak in tongues. I believe that God's going to give some of you the ability this next season to, to have words of prophecy, to build up others in this room. I believe that God's going to give some of you the ability to lead and to encourage and to teach. I believe that God is going to pour out his Holy Spirit for the good of the church. And Paul says, man, before you get so distracted and sidetracked and obsessed with all these gifts, remember what it is you're made for. Be people of love. Keep loving each other. Paul says, now let me tell you about what this type of love looks like being played out in a spiritual community. He says it's so much more than just some warm, fuzzy feelings that you have for someone. He says, let me tell you about what love looks like. And so he says in verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I don't know about you when you hear these words, but this week, I was realizing that after reading these five verses, I'm like inspired and at the same time defeated. I'm inspired because I go, man, I want to, to live like this. I want our church, I want you to, to be on the receiving end of this kind of love for me. I want my wife, when she wakes up in the morning, to go, yeah, this is the way that my husband loves me. I'm inspired that, at the thought that, that this is who we could be as a church. And at the same time, I'm like defeated and discouraged because I look at this and I go, man, this is so far from who I am. Brandon's not kind. Brandon's not patient. Brandon's not, it's like this list. I go, man, it's so far from who I am. Love is kind. <laughs> I can tell you about two different nights this week where right before bed, I just said something really unkind to court. And it wasn't just what I said, but it was also how I said it. You know how that goes. And I just woke up the next morning. I'm like, dang it, I did it again. Here I am like teaching our church about what it means to love, how, what it means to be kind. And I can't even do this. Love does not envy. Went to visit some of my friends last week. They just built this brand new house. They had me and my wife over, and we were just kind of hanging out. And I walk in, and my very first thought, I kid you not, was, man, I wish I had nice countertops in my house. <laughs> wish I had, like, nice hardwood floors. 
Why can't I live in the city? Why do I have to drive in every morning? And here's this like amazing gift that my friends had, and all I can think about is me. I'm like envious. Love's not self-seeking. Man, it's like I spent this whole weekend thinking about me. What I want to do, what I want to eat, when I want to do it. Like, and what was hitting me this week is that if, if this type of love is going to take root in my life, it's just going to take root in our lives. That it's going to have to be something that God does in us. That like the creator of the universe, the one who is like, uh, who, who, who created and sustains, he's going to have to like set up shop in my life and do something. And what was hitting me this week is that these, these beautiful verses in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13, at the core of what it is, is an invitation from God. That it's an invitation from God to receive this type of love from him. And it's an invitation from God to let this, this type of love flow through us for the good of others. It is an invitation to receive this type of love from God, an invitation to let this love flow through us to others. You know, there's a lot of of questions, and it's just so easy to to wonder what what God is like, how he feels about us, how he interacts with us, what he thinks about us. And before God knew that, that we would be people that would, would give this love to others, he knew that we'd have to be people that could receive this type of love. And his plan for us receiving it was to give us Jesus, to, to give us a person wrapped in the flesh so that, that we could see this actually living out. And so we could read this, these texts all day. And I'm convinced that, that this is about God. That God is patient and God is kind and that God doesn't keep a record of our wrongs, that that God's love never fails for us. I'm convinced that at the core of what this is, is God's love for us. And I can tell you that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you all day. But Jesus Christ came so that we could see that God really does love us like this. That, That God really is kind, that he really is patient, that he really does forgive us when we sin and not hold our sins against him. They hold our sins against us. I love the story that unfolds in John chapter 4 where Jesus is, is meeting with this woman who's just wrecked her life and so many other people's lives around her. She's had five failed marriages. And she's on her six. And Jesus shows up to this woman. And I was just captivated by the words that he speaks to her. He shows up to this woman. And he says, if you knew the gift of God, Like if you knew the free gift that God is longing to give to you, and if you knew who it was that was talking to you, all you would do is ask, and he would give you living water. He would give you forgiveness. He would give you the Holy Spirit. He would give you life eternal. He would give you everything that your heart desires. All you have to do is recognize who's in front of you and ask. And I took a step back from the story in John 4, and I was just amazed. You know, isn't it so true that that so often we just have such a hard time Believing that that God actually forgives us? That God could like look past our mistakes and our sins and the, the, the covenant vows that we've made with him. And I love it. God looks at this woman who's been married five times and he says, even you, even you I forgive. 
Or I love the story in John chapter 3 where there's this, this spiritual guy, this, this guy who grew up going to church, and he's curious about Jesus, but he doesn't want any of his buddies to know. And so he sneaks off to meet Jesus in the middle of the night, and Jesus meets this guy where he is, and he looks at this guy named Nicodemus, and he says, Nicodemus, you must let me into your life. You can keep playing this religious game your entire life. You can keep doing all the things and going to church and memorizing scripture, but unless you let me into your life, Nothing's going to change. No matter how bad we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter how far you've run, how long you've been gone, Jesus Christ is the living proof that you have not done enough to run out of the arms of God. Jesus Christ has come to prove that no matter what you've done, how far you've run, you are welcome with God. And his primary invitation is for us to receive this love, to receive Jesus as Lord, as King, as Savior. But I was reading this this week, and I go, it's not just about receiving this type of love. It's not just about receiving this relationship with Jesus, that God has so much more in mind for us than just having this intimate relationship with Christ, that he longs for this type of love to flow through us for the good of other people. We started the Holy Spirit series back in August by looking at this text in Galatians chapter 5. And Paul is writing to this group of Christians, and he essentially says, man, there are two ways of living. You either live your life led by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, or you live life for yourself. He says you, you either live life where everything you do is an offering to the Lord Jesus Christ, or you do whatever it is that you want. He says, now let me tell you about what life looks like in a spiritual community when you're living for yourself. And so in Galatians chapter five, he talks about how a community is marked by idolatry. That a community that is living for themselves, they worship everything but Jesus. Money and jobs and families and kids and spouses and football, and food, and cars. A group of of people, a spiritual community that that is not uh, following the Holy Spirit that is doing what they want is marked with sexual immorality and with bitterness and jealousy and anger. But Paul says this is one way of living. But let me tell you about what life looks like for followers of the Lord Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit who are committed to letting him have his ways in their lives. He says, you want to know what comes out of people who are led by the Holy Spirit? The very first thing they list in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is that people who are led by the Holy Spirit are marked by their love. And what God was just like taking me on this adventure this week is helping me see that this type of love comes about when the Holy Spirit guides our love, when he guides our lives. That the Holy Spirit displays this type of love through us to the good of others. Several years ago, I ran a half marathon in Memphis. Never run a race up until that point. I haven't run a race uh, since then. And, uh, but it was a great time. And I was running with, I'm not much of a runner. I was running with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, who are really good runners. And we showed up early to the race. And I noticed that there were all these people who were holding signs up in there. Like they had the, these wooden sticks with signs on them. And on the signs, it had all these different times. One hour, an hour and five minutes, an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. I just asked my father-in-law, I was like, what are those people doing? What are those signs? 
said, those people are pacers. He said, if you want to run a half marathon an hour, all you have to do is keep up with that person holding that sign. If you want to run a half marathon an hour and a half, all you have to do is keep up with the person holding the hour and a half sign. And what hit me is that these people were experts in running, that they were so familiar, so comfortable with running, that if you wanted to run a certain pace, they were willing to run alongside you so that you could run that pace. And I just kept thinking about the the work of the Holy Spirit of God, the third person, the Trinity, and how he works in us, the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced he will live this type of love through us. The question for us is, will we let him? Will we choose to, to let the Holy Spirit run the course that he desires to run in our lives? Will we let him lead us to be people that are patient and kind and who don't hold sins against each other and who, who, who are marked by love that, it, that always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres and always fails? Always doesn't fail. Sorry about that. That never fails. The Holy Spirit will live this type of love through us. That's why he's given to us. Because God knew that that this is the best way to live, and we cannot live this out on our own effort, by our own strength, by being more disciplined or having more accountability groups. We don't need more advice. We need more power from on high. Go very practically what this looks like playing out. Will you listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you? To be patient and kind when you get home from a long day of work and all you want to do is go to sleep and your roommate is just talking and talking and talking. Will you be patient? Will you listen to the Holy Spirit when you're sitting at SACO with your buddies on a Saturday night and everyone at the table is dishonoring someone who's not there, their character? Will you listen to the Holy Spirit not to chime in? Will you listen to the Holy Spirit to forgive your friends when they hurt you? To forgive your girlfriend when she disappoints you? Your coworkers when they don't come through for you on your project? Will you let those things go and not store them up? I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time now, and one of the things that I've consistently seen in my life as a follower of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit always shows up in moments of temptation, (laughs) and he always speaks. It's not if he will be there. The question isn't if he will be there. The question question is, will I listen? We were made to be people that receive this dynamic love of God. And to let this love flow through us for the good of others. I don't know if you are into horse racing. I'm not really into horse racing. But this past week, all I could think about was horse racing for some reason. I was thinking about how in horse racing, I think this is true. I should probably check my stats before I start telling stuff like this. But I'm pretty sure that in horse racing, both the horse and the jockey play a significant role. Right? Like it's the horse's job to, to what in a race? To run as fast as he can. And it's the jockey's job to, to get the horse up to the gate. And to hold on. And to lean into turns. And to stay low and to not fall off. 
And I was reading 1 Corinthians 13, and I go, man, I think our life with the Holy Spirit is a lot like this. That we both have like significant roles to play. That the Holy Spirit will run this course, that he will show us how to love like this. But you and I have to, in real time, choose to listen, to yield, to respond, to lean. I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit, we are not on autopilot. We're not just going to coast through this life and live this type of intentional love. The only way is if we will listen and respond and lean when he speaks. Paul keeps going. He finishes out this text. He says, picking up in verse 8, love never fails, he says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. But then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I was preparing to teach this week with, with Larkin, who's teaching at the Ruby tonight, with Aaron, who taught this morning at Marathon. And we were just talking about this text. And I just kind of asked him, what do you guys think this means? There's a lot here kind of in this last little section. What do you guys think that he's talking about? Why does he say that, that love is the greatest? And Larkin just looked at me and he says, I think the reason it's most important is because it's the only gift. It's the only peace that remains with us when we go to heaven. That there's a day that our faith will become sight, that our hope will be realized, and that the gifts that God has given to us will have served their purpose. But that love for each other, that, that you and I, we will remain, and the love that we have for each other will continue into heaven. So he says, when I was a child, I taught like a child, and, and, and thought, and walked, and did all these things just like a child. And he's wanting us to understand the purpose of spiritual gifts in, in this life. That spiritual gifts will serve and bless and build up the body of Christ for as long as we are on this earth. And they're given to us so that we can become more like Jesus. But the day that we stand face to face with Jesus, gifts will no longer have a purpose. They will have served their purpose. That we won't need to be encouraged that, that God loves us, that we won't need words of prophecy and we won't need to be healed. We won't need wisdom and faith because we will be looking at our creator face to face. I love that he says that, that we get these glimpses like reflections in mirrors. And I was thinking about, man, that, that we get these glimpses of God all around us. That we see God in other people, our hearts are stirred as we read a word from God or as someone shares a word with us. We get all these glimpses of God in our world. Your heart's stirred as you watch a beautiful sunset. And I love what Paul says. He says, these glimpses of God are but a dim reflection of how good and beautiful and powerful and real he is. I love the second part of verse 12 where he says, now I, I know in part. And the word for know there means to have experience. And what he's saying is so beautiful. This is all of us who are Christians. He says, man, that, that, that we who are followers of Jesus, we don't just believe in Jesus cognitively. We don't just blindly accept that he's real. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've experienced him. We know him. 
We've encountered firsthand his goodness and his provision and his healing. We've experienced him. And I love the second part of that verse. It says, now I know in part, but then I shall fully know. And the word for know there in the second part of that sentence is a different word. It doesn't mean to experience. It means to recognize. And I love what Paul's doing. He wants us to understand. He's like sitting us down to have this real heart to heart with us. He goes, man, this is where we're going. That every single one of us will stand in front of the Lord Jesus Christ one day. And we will recognize his voice. The voice that has comforted us through life's pain and heartache and struggles. We will recognize the scars in his hands that paid our debt. We will recognize the love buried deep in his eyes that has been beckoning us to him. We will stand face to face with Jesus one day. It's not if, it's when. And Paul's wanting us to understand, man, because this is where we're going, because every one of us will stand face to face with Jesus, it changes the way we treat each other. It changes the way that we live. I was talking to my friend earlier this week. He was driving down to Florida to compete in an Ironman competition. Ironman competitions where you swim 2.4 miles and then you get on a bike and you ride 112 miles and then you run 26.2 miles. And I just think, you got to be just stupid to do that. Like there's, when he finished and he did it, and uh, he was telling me on the way down there, he was we talking on the phone and he says, man, I love being down here because there's such a spirit of, and my mind just started racing. What's he going to say? Like a spirit of competition, a spirit of testosterone. Like what's he going to say? And he said, I love being down here because there's such a spirit of humility. And I'm like, humility? He said, yeah, people down here, they just want you to do well. Like everyone that's, that's competing, they just they want everyone else to finish. It's just this idea that when you train for something of this magnitude, it's not about winning. It's about finishing the race. Encouraging others who are in this incredible adventure with you. You know, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are Christians, who have given our lives to him, who put our faith in Jesus and what he has done for us, we know that we're going to stand in front of the Lord Jesus one day. And may that shape the way that we treat people today. May it shape the way that we treat the body of Christ. Like there's there's no room for for any competition in the body of Christ. There's no room for, for jealousy and gossip and slander. There's no room for lust and selfishness and pride. There is no room for this because we are all in this race running to the Lord Jesus Christ. May our lives be marked with love for each other and encouragement in each other. And may we be like the people gathered at the Ironman who just want us to run well and to finish well. May we be each other's biggest fans. 
May it not just be the body of Christ that's blessed, though. May people who don't know Jesus be blessed through us. I wonder what would happen if like, people who aren't Christians, if they looked at, at Christians, if they looked at people who went to church, and they go, man, there's something different about the way those people live. What if our lives made people more curious about Jesus instead of repelling them from him? What if they looked at us and, and they realized that, that we were patient and kind? And that when you were at a party, that, that you never gossiped about people, that, that, that hurtful words ne- never came out of your mouth about other people? What if they looked at the way that you lived and they realized that you weren't selfish in the way that you spent your weekends or the way that you spent your time or your money? What if the world looked at us? Realize that we never gave up on each other. That no matter what sin you got caught up in, no matter what sin dragged you away from God, that as a body of Christ, we never made you feel like you had to work your way back in the body, but we forgive you with the same love that we have received from God ourselves. Here in just a minute, we're going to take communion. Go back to that moment right before Jesus was crucified where he's gathered with his apostles and he passes in the bread and he passes in the cup and he says, break this, drink this. As we take the bread, as we drink the cup tonight, I want to encourage you to to ask yourself two questions. You can go with the people that you came with. You can circle up your chairs. If you just need to sit by yourself, you can do that. But I really want you to think about these two questions. The first question is this. Are you receiving this love from God? Are you receiving this type of love from God? Are you being enamored with the truth that you are forgiven, that he has loved you deeply because of Jesus? Or are you keeping it arm's length? Are you trying to earn it? Are you receiving this type of love? The second question I want you to think about is, is is this type of love flowing through you to others? Are people in your house church being built up because of what God's doing in you? Are people, as they walk through these doors, or your coworkers, are they being built up because of what God's doing in you? And whatever it is that, that God reveals as you break the bread and drink the cup, man, if he reveals that, that you really are loving your coworkers and you really are living out this type of love, then thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Get on your knees and praise him. If you discover that, that you've been selfish, that you've been envious, man, just confess those sins. Lay them before him and trust that the blood of Jesus Christ covers you and live a different life. Repent. For those of you who are not Christians, if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you want to be, the invitation is to receive this love of God. Step into this relationship with the man, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that he's a son of God? Do you believe that he has come to forgive you, to take away your sin? Do you believe that he can make you into this type of person? Give your life to him. What I love about our God is that he hasn't just given us a better picture of what life could look like in the context of a spiritual community. He has given us a better person, the Holy Spirit. 
to live in us so that this picture, become a, so that it, this picture could become a reality. May you and I let the Holy Spirit do his work in our lives. Let's pray.